Okay, my guest today is Dr. Tapring Piquado. In 2016, UCI honored Tapring during the 50th anniversary celebration of graduate success as one of the top 50 graduate and postdoctoral scholar alumni. Tapring was here at UCI from 2010 to 2012 in Greg Hickok's lab working on something called the Melody of Language, which I'm very interested to hear more about. Currently, Tapring Pequado is running as a Democrat for the State Assembly 54th District, which includes most of the Culver City area in Los Angeles up towards UCLA. So we have a lot to talk about. Welcome, Tapring. How are you today? I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you for having me today. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us. Would you mind just giving us a brief background, like where you were born and and your development of how you ended up at UCI? Absolutely. So I was born and raised in Sacramento, California. My grandparents, both my grandpas were actually in the Air Force. And so they settled in Sacramento where my parents met and married. My dad was a teacher. My grandma was actually a preschool teacher as well. And after college, I was a teacher. I taught AP computer science and math and science for eighth graders up through high school and at a charter school in LA as well before going back to get my PhD in neuroscience. I studied neuroscience because I was teaching at the summer school program for students that couldn't learn phonics very well. And it was an alternative way to learn how to read and I just thought it was fascinating. And so after reading a couple books and taking the GRE, I applied to grad school and decided to go to Brandeis. So I earned my PhD at Brandeis in an environment unlike this, where there is actually effortful listening environment where there's a lot of noise or there's distracted speech or a cocktail party. And I studied where older adults with mild to moderate hearing disabilities can process language. So after that, I came to UC Irvine. I worked with Greg Hickok studying people who stutter and the melody of their speech and how they process language. From there, I actually became a science fellow with a program called CCST, where I was placed in Senate Human Services at the Capitol analyzing bills for our legislature. That's where I got the policy bug. Cool, cool. Hey, before we jump to that, I'm in Toastmasters here, Zotspeak Toastmasters on campus, and there's a gentleman who does have a stuttering issue, but when he speaks, he doesn't have a stuttering. It's fluent. Is that, what's that all about? I will say it's quite inspiring and it's like, wow, that's really interesting. Is is there an explanation for that? Right, so there are a variety of mechanisms that cause stuttering. One of the aspects that I studied was actually how we can diminish the stuttering. So don't know that gentleman's particular aspects of stuttering, but sometimes there's more fluid speech and sometimes the stuttering comes out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so you ended up here at UCI I did. and then you moved on to, you started to talk about... I moved on to be a science and technology policy fellow. Okay. where I specialized in analyzing bills that had to do with foster care youth. And I was on a board for the governor on addressing child welfare in the Latino community. I analyzed bills that had to do with CalFresh and CalWORKs, our welfare programs. And I participated in analyzing those bills during the 2012-2013 cycle. I also worked with a senator and ran two bills, one that got signed by the governor, which extended the green and white stickers on electric vehicles 
so that we could have single occupancy in the carpooling. So while you were in Sacramento, how did that go? Did you feel like, boy, this is a lot of work and a grind or was it inspiring? Was it both? It was an amazing year, learning the process, learning about all the committees and all the eyes that are really, all the people that are responsible for passing good legislation to improve the lives of citizens of California. It was really inspiring because there were a lot of people involved in the process to improve the lives of Californians. And I took that with me on to my next role, and that was doing public policy research at Rand Corporation. Interesting. Now, was that just a, you know, you always hear about the Rand Corporation (laughs) uh, in big letters, bold letters. Was that through, you know, did you see an ad or was it just you had met some folks and there was an opportunity or right so I I got connected with Rand of course I had heard about it I'd read about it NPR has Rand researchers on all the time and so it was this place that was this magnificent opportunity to fuse my research background with my real pressing desire to help others and so I met a person on the board of the program in which I was at CCST California Council on science and technology and she said I had said in a meeting I want I want to go to somewhere like a place like Rand and she's like I know someone that works there would you like me to put you in contact and so after a couple of conversations with him I really found that this was the right place for me and after a couple of more months of conversation with Rand and applying I was really honored to be selected to be one of their Rand researchers wow so are you currently there right now or I am currently on leave okay while I run my campaign for elected official for the assembly district 54 gotcha so how much time have you spent at Rand I've been there almost four years oh okay so mm-hmm. wow mm-hmm. and can you describe some of the work that you've been doing is yeah you know, is is it public you know how does Rand work is it public right. or is it some of its public right so my work is public uh, you know just like I was doing work at UC Irvine I, I write grants I publish work my portfolio is a little bit different so I have vast portfolios so I lead over a million dollars worth of work in three different projects and so my main project is funded by the Department of Defense And we are looking at the quality of care for people who've had a traumatic brain injury or concussion, a mild traumatic brain injury. We're wondering what type of knowledge, skills, and abilities the physicians have in the military to treat people that have suffered a concussion or a traumatic brain injury. And so we're gathering data to present to the Department of Defense in order to improve the quality of care for those individuals. What have you found? Is there? Can you briefly talk a, a little bit about that? Right. So the project is ongoing, but we're finding that there are opportunities to improve the knowledge of the diagnosis of concussion. And there's a new blood test out that... So, so let me back up. When we get a concussion, our brain gets a little bruise. That's the best example that I can... Or analogy I can give. So that bruise creates additional protein and we can take a blood sample and measure those proteins and if it has elevated amount compared to normal then it's likely you have a concussion and if it's at 
even more elevated, then maybe we should do some additional testing. So it's in the diagnostic phase, just to screen to see if anything might be out of the ordinary beyond regular concussion. So typically concussions, 95% of people recover, rest, drink some water, don't get another concussion, that's really, really bad, and we go on, just like we have a bruise, right? So we get a bruise, we try not to get another bruise, we try not to push on it, it's the same thing. It's just for, against your brain. So there's an opportunity to improve the screening and the future treatment that the physicians do. So right now there's an overemphasis on screening and sending to a, get a CT or an MRI. Those tests aren't really needed, and so we're educating physicians and patients about not needing those additional screenings that really aren't going to tell us anything additional than got a bruise you have a concussion drink some more water and call me in the morning interesting mm -hmm. interesting so when did you start thinking about political office you know this is an aspect like a scientist it's incremental so my my desires to be in political office have sort of started step by step First, when I joined the board of SACNAS, which advances Chicanos, Latinos, and Native Americans in science, I was part of this board that made policy decisions for a group of people that are advancing in science. So that was one step. The next step was really being a part of CCST and a science fellow at the Capitol, really getting an understanding of how to protect others through my talent, which is research and analysis. And then even more so, now being on UC Irvine Dean Leslie's leadership council is another aspect where I'm advancing and thinking, I want to do my part in protecting students, in protecting renters like me who are wanting to be in our community, protecting kids like me who grew up on welfare and making sure that there's stability of that program. So really it's been an incremental growth into launching my campaign for office. And when did it culminate? Yes. When did I do yeah. it? So December 29th, uh -huh. I actually, I had gotten some training of how to be a candidate from 314 Action the science pack that gathered scientists and trained us how to run. And that was in March. Oh, really? And then in December 29th, the incumbent in my area resigned for health reasons. And I took the opportunity to jump into the race and present my values and vision. And we're four weeks away from the primary, April 3rd. Wow. How's it going? Excellently. Great. We have raised funds, we're getting messaging out, we're knocking on doors, I'm talking to voters, and people are really excited about a person like me heading to Sacramento with a science background, I'm a minority woman, and it's just a fresh perspective. Excellent. So April 3rd is the date. Now I know, was it just last weekend that the Democratic convention was in San Diego? Yes, I was down in San Diego. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, the convention is an amazingly inspiring place to be with elected officials from governor all the way to Assembly District 54, where I'm campaigning to represent. There were marches with charter school students, diverse group of individuals. There were tech companies out there presenting their innovation for a, a greater improved future. There were 
the, in the mayoral race, it was Antonio Veragosa speaking and John Chung speaking and Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom speaking. Fiona Ma was there. I mean, it was just a really inspiring place to be in the midst of all of these great leaders. However, I did not receive the Democratic Party endorsement that had already been established before I entered the race. So there wasn't an opportunity to address the delegates in a meaningful manner by the time I entered the race. Gotcha. So at this point, are there four Democrats running? There are three Democrats and a Republican. He has run quite frequently in the district. And the two of us, my opponent and I, are the viable candidates. Gotcha. Why are you running? You know, how can you make a difference more than your direct competitor? Mm-hmm. I am running because there need to be more Democratic minority women with a science background in the legislature. And those are the aspects of my background that I am highlighting. And I'm going to Sacramento to protect students, to protect families and to improve and innovate in the capital. That's why I'm going to Sacramento. Fantastic. I have a little bit different background to bring in terms of, I consider myself a conservative liberal. What about the budget, the dollars? Are you looking at that? Can you talk a little bit about that? And it doesn't seem like anybody talks about the budget anymore. It concerns me, so I'm just asking the It does, yeah. One of the aspects I do think about the budget, and I think about our spending and our revenue. And so those are absolutely important aspects to think about. And so in the pace of progress, we need to streamline regulatory aspects that prevent growth. We need to concentrate on what we're spending in light of what we're raising in revenue. And so those are very nuanced but intertwined relationships. And so when I think of a complex problem, I always put those two together, thinking about what we can spend on, but also what are we saving on, so intertwined. So in building projects, in funding for Cal grants and support of our future workforce, in development of companies, completing our infrastructure projects, thinking about what we're spending on and what we're earning in revenue are absolutely at the top of my mind. And coming from this math and number background, I was math minor and a computer science major. I'm a coder. I actually code my own research studies. Those things come naturally to me. And those are the things that I want to use my skills to really focus on in Sacramento as well. How about in terms of support? Has anybody endorsed you? Is that part of the game? Yes, yes, I have earned the endorsements. Without prior relationships, I've earned the endorsements of seven assembly members. Assemblymember Adam Gray, Assemblymember Tim Grayson, Assemblymember Jackie Irwin, Assemblymember Jim Cooper, Assemblymember Tom Daly, Assemblymember Jim Frazier, and Assemblymember Rudy Salas. After meeting with them and having conversations, we were aligned in our thinking and our approach. And so it's a really thoughtful, critical thinking, pragmatic approach to address each topic that came to our consideration. So after that conversation, they'd endorsed me without any prior relationships. 
Excellent. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. I've also been endorsed by the Long Beach Police Officers Association. Public safety is one of the things that's really, really important. Protecting the communities and partnering with law enforcement. And also my husband is a police sergeant. Excellent. You know, a lot of times on the liberal side, I find that things are said about our police trouble me because I believe that they're here to help us. And they uh, are. I think that's a strong sensitivity that you would have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like Every day that my husband goes to work, I see that side of his life, right? Protecting us, serving us. And that's an aspect that at the intersection of being a minority myself and married to a law enforcement officer, I really see the partnership that we must have to protect us. And we've authorized, we've engaged with a professional team called police officers. And that's really important to the safety and security of our neighborhoods. And we need to find a way to partner with them and really highlight their service and and give them the tools and the encouragement to continue doing that for us. Good, good. How much does it cost to run for office? It costs a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. Con- contributions and fundraising is my number one priority. To win this race, I will raise $300,000. I started in basically January 10th, and I had a fundraiser last week that raised $100,000. And so that's just scratching the surface. So I'm not, I don't have a background in politics. I'm not a politician. And so I don't have prior relationships that I can call on. I don't have what some may call a war chest of previous elected official campaign dollars that I can move over to this campaign. So I'm starting from scratch, grassroots, Every conversation I have ends with a request for a contribution. And really, it's through the contributions, small donors right now, that is launching this campaign, that is really funding this campaign. And I can't do it without supporters and contributions, large and small. Many of the contributions I first received were from friends and family and people that I've done business with, people that I've worked with, worked for. And that's really how we're funding this campaign. Now, April 3rd, will that be, is that a state? So it's actually a special election. So the incumbent in the area resigned in the end of December for health reasons. And that left an opportunity for the governor to assign a special election or propose a special election. And so that special elections primary is on April 3rd. There will be a runoff of the top two. It's an open primary. There will be a top two as long as no one gets 50% plus one person. And I'm expecting to be in the top two. If not number one, come in strong second and move on to the June election, June 5th. What will you be doing between now and April 3rd? I have a plan. Can you share with us? I can share. I am going to connect with each and every voter in the district. I am knocking on doors. Next time you hear me, I'm going to be 10 pounds lighter and a few (laughs) shoes worn out. I am... How uh, many constituents are in the district? In the district, there are over 450,000 constituents. Of that, about 250,000 are registered voters. Among that, there are only about... 10% that actually go out and vote. So I encourage you to go out and vote. This is really important to vote for people that you want representing you. 
So I'm knocking on doors every day. I'm going to candidate forums. Three or four have been set up already. Those are opportunities to get to meet the candidates in a forum where we're all together and you can ask us questions that are really pressing on your mind. An opportunity to see the differences. Will that be the three Democrats or actually include the Republicans? All four of us. It's open, so all four of us have the opportunity to discuss. Interesting. Yeah. How is that? Is it competitive or do you feel like, is it dog-eat-dog? <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me, um, I'm not coming from this political world, so I don't have the sentiment of the other people in the field. For me, these are my competitors. Yes, we are opponents, but at the end of the day, I have collaborators. In my work, we have collaborations, and I want to lead that collaboration as being a representative. So the candidate forums are the opportunity for me to voice my vision, my values, and share those with the community, and for the community also to take part in the civic process and ask questions and provide feedback. For us, for me, to really amplify their voice in Sacramento. So for me, it's not adversarial. It's just an opportunity to talk with voters. Excellent. Just to give framework, who is our assembly representative for the UCI? You're in District 74, and that's Assemblymember Matthew Harper. Okay, and is he Republican? He is Republican. Okay, so how does it work in Sacramento in in terms of, is it two chambers, is it? So we have an assembly and we have a Senate. Okay. In the assembly, there are 80 representatives across the state. And in the Senate, there are 40. So there's one senator to two assembly members, essentially. Okay. And your state senator is Senator John Morlock. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I know him. Also Republican. I've been familiar with him. Yeah. So 80 assembly members. Wow. Exactly. So how does that break down? Do you any idea in terms of Republicans and Democrats? Yeah, it's about 60-20. Okay. Democrats yeah. to Democrats are more. Yeah. Gotcha. We don't have a super majority right now, which I think there are 57. There are actually quite a few special elections right now. So there have been some resignations due to allegations of sexual misconduct. The assembly member in my district resigned for health issues and there's one assembly member who has taken a leave of absence pending investigation. So in light of the sexual misconduct and the Me Too era, do you have a sense of how you're going to approach this in the future? Absolutely. So my team is amazing. And when I get to Sacramento, I'm going to have a policy. Everyone keeps their hands to themselves and acts like adults. And that's the expectation. And I'll expect that from my colleagues as well. In your career, have you had sexual harassment? I've been very fortunate that I have not had an incident to that level of severity. There has been aspects of sexism a little bit of racism, discrimination in my past. And I really treat those as opportunities to confront it. So I am the diversity and uh, inclusion co-chair at RAND. And through that role, I've been able to be a leader in addressing issues of discrimination and issues of systemic and institutional racism. And so part of my background is knowing how to have uncomfortable conversations, not stigmatize others that are supporters and allies of causes, 
and really move forward in a collegial atmosphere to do the good work that we are intending to do. Excellent. I just recently, first of all, I interviewed the vice provost here in charge of inclusion and diversity. It's very interesting. I'm white and I've really been transforming, you know, I'm not perfect, Mm -hmm. but I thought, oh yeah, I know what that's all about. Mm -hmm. And then was shocked. I've never really had that in my life. Right. You know, it's those types of conversations that are really important to have too, just to have perspective of that. You're walking through the world through a lens and I'm walking through the world as a biracial woman, uh, mixed black and white woman, and we, we may see things differently. And to be able to have that conversation of how we're seeing the same thing is really important. There's a series of videos at UCI where we have a speaker series called What Matters to Me and Why, mm. and where staff and, and academia can speak for an hour and people are invited. It's, it's fascinating. Oh, nice. I love to hear yeah. uh, people's journeys. And there was this follow-up video series about diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And I just sampled some of them, but I think I was pretty right on that there were a couple of white guys and Mm -hmm. they really were just like me. I don't Mm -hmm. want, it pretty much is like, it's out of our wheelhouse. It's just, it's really different. And I don't think, I never would have realized this without this push for diversity, inclusion, and right. it's a wake-up. It is, and it's not that you, you didn't want to, it's just that you were never pushed, you were never encouraged, you were never challenged to start thinking differently. And that's exactly, I'm at the intersection of multiple aspects, and I say this, that a great part of our history has been in the mixing of people. And I come from a background where my grandpa was the firstborn in America from Italy. And, and he married a not a Catholic woman. And so there was a mixing of religion. And then my dad mixed with my mom. My mom was first born in California. My grandparents were from Mississippi. I love grits with sugar on them. And so there was this mixing of Italian and African-American cultures. And you know, my mom is gay and my dad is straight and I have that perspective. And now I have this mixing of black lives matter, absolutely, and yet, there are also this importance of my husband being a thin blue line and an officer. And so this intersection for me, being a scientist and a minority and a woman, that intersection is coming at a time where it's really refreshing to have that perspective. Also, my name, Tapring, comes from Star Trek. It was Spock's betrothed on Star Trek. No way. (laughs) And yet I still love Star Wars. It's this mixing of people. There's no no separation for me. So, yeah. yeah. Were you literally named? They loved that character? Yeah, my mom loved that name, loved the character. She's strong. She's driven by logic and reason. The only thing my mom did was add in an E, so it's Tepring versus Tepring. So Tepring is my name, and it's from Spock's wife on Star Trek. That's wild. I didn't <laughs> know that. And I know the Trekkies out there are like, what do you mean you didn't know that? <laughs> I know. You should have known. You should have known. <laughs> wow, excellent. Hey, as we've gotten to talk here, I've forgotten to remind our listeners that if you're joining us late... I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer of UCI Conversations, visiting with former UCI postdoctoral scholar, 
Tepring Piquado. And Tepring is currently running as a Democrat in for the State Assembly 54th District race. And it's great to catch up with her today. So Tepring, you're walking your, is it precincts? Do you call them precincts? Yeah, precincts. Okay. Yeah. How much have you covered so far? I'm going to cover it all. Yeah. Gotcha. We have a plan. We're walking and talking right now. We have a great set of volunteers from students to older adults. Uh, we're doing calls, we're connecting with voters, and we're doing and for candidate forums as well. Great. Do you have a headquarters? You know, is that do you have a formal headquarters? We don't have formal headquarters. As I said previously, this is grassroots. It's also really, really quick. So it's only been about eight weeks, six weeks that I've been fully staffed, and that's with a campaign consultant, a campaign manager, a field director, a fundraiser, and a treasurer. Holy moly! Yeah. Yeah. We have also mail going out. So people that are checking their mailboxes right now should see some mail telling about my background and vision for a future innovative California. Fantastic. What's life like as a assemblyman? How does it work? Yeah. So um, it's a dual role. So you're both in the district and in Sacramento. So you're in Sacramento Monday through Thursday and you're in the district Thursday evening through Monday morning. Um, so it's it's a back and forth. I'm from Sacramento, so I have the opportunity to reconnect with my friends that are like family up there, as well as you know protect the community members back in the district. And really what we're doing is making sure that the issues that are important and relevant to our community are being addressed successfully with thought and an innovative background and really taking an approach to thinking that's evidence-based and rooted in context within the needs of the district. I'm also there to facilitate. If you have any problems, call my office and we will assign someone to staff that and find you the answer. Are there any particular pressing issues in your district? Of course, you know, UCLA is a component. And so the UC system is really, you know, one of my top priority issues from my background in being a PhD neuroscientist myself. You know, access to grants and scholarships is really what set me on my path to higher education. And so for me, protecting access to Cal grants, access to scholarships, improving the tuition and revenue aspects to fund our state schools is really important. How about on the state level? What do you see are our pressing issues? You know, infrastructure is always uh, an important aspect, but really on, on infrastructure is making sure that the projects that we need to be built in California are being built and have uh, the regulatory aspects that will streamline that process and that relates to housing as well so if we have the ability to have more production more supply of housing that will also be a component of increasing the affordability and not displacing individuals within our community and in in our area housing is is really important right we have we have a housing crisis across the state and so it is a state issue. And so uh, reforming aspects of that development process and rent and affordability is, is one of the things that's on the top of a lot of assembly members' minds in the legislature. 
It's, it's interesting. Currently down here, there's a grassroots effort to limit development in Irvine mm-hmm. because the traffic's getting so bad. Mm-hmm. And yet, when you talk to economists and business people also, that once you start limiting development, the price of real estate actually increases and homeless advocates say that, which causes rents to go up. I try to pride myself in finding areas that of agreement where, you know, mm-hmm. we can solve a problem. And I really, mm-hmm. at this point, I'm starting to get like, man, maybe there aren't, so maybe you just have to take a stand. I don't know. Do you have right. any so sense of that? This is a really complicated problem because we want high density communities near public transportation, near our grocery stores, near our clinics and hospitals, and so where we can really build communities. And so that takes development. And there are some bills in the legislature right now that are addressing these areas with high access to a metro line. You know, there aren't metro lines down here in Irvine, and so this is a community that is more dispersed. But really addressing the supply end, building that developer aspect is gonna be important and then figuring out the traffic patterns, where we actually go to work, being able not to be displaced so far outside of where we work that we increase traffic. Mm. You know, maybe we make communities closer to the areas in which we work, so we reduce traffic and we have more foot traffic or bike traffic, and that can actually expand to reducing our pollution, right? Making a cleaner environment for ourselves and our future families. And so thinking about all of those intertwined is really essential and coming to the legislature with this background of science and analysis is going to be really valuable when we tackle this problem of what do we do? We need to reach out to the economists. We need to reach out to the developers. We need to reach out to the business community that are developing the opportunities to provide jobs. And we need to reach out to the families that are actually living in those communities. And we need to find a holistic, comprehensive approach to that, solution to that. Who are the major employers in your district? Yeah, UCLA is a major one. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the largest universities in the area. Also, Sony Pictures. Mm. Yeah. I have a list. Is there anything in the next year that's coming up that you can see that it's an issue on the horizon? You know, healthcare access is going to be a continued issue. I have a press for universal healthcare access where every person that needs access to medical has the opportunity to receive the medical attention that they need, both preventative and you know, otherwise. And so one of the things that we need to figure out is how to pay for a system that works for us all. And that goes back to the budget question that you were talking about. Absolutely. I came from a family that we we didn't always see the doctor when we needed to, unless it was really, really urgent. And, And even then it was a struggle to get the medication, the penicillin when we, when we needed that or the antibiotics. And so how do we do that, especially for communities that are low income, communities of color, of of which we have a really diverse population in the district. And so that's gonna be a pressing problem going into the future. And we're gonna have to figure it out. The Affordable Care Act was a really good start and we have made great strides on ensuring the uninsured or underinsured population, and we still have a ways to go. Does Rand take a look at that? I don't even know where we are with healthcare right now. 
Right, absolutely. Rand does a lot of good work on this. We have an entire unit department that looks at healthcare, um, health in general, health and well-being of communities, health and well-being of individuals, health behaviors of physicians, and as well as the insurance companies, the hospitals, the, the infrastructure aspects of health. And I will absolutely use my contacts at Rand to give me more information on and innovative solutions to a future that has all of us covered. Excellent, so that's still, that is evolving. There's it really not- It is evolving, it, yeah. We do not have a silver bullet for this. And if it were an easy solution and fundable, we would have gotten there already. And so we're making strides. I, we need more people with my background that can take the evidence, that can take the healthcare plans into consideration and the insurance premiums and the medical prescription costs and root it in context and make it work. How about you know some of these big topic, you know, high exposure issues in terms of gun control? You know, there was mm. the recent another mass school shooting. Do you have a position on guns? We need to have protections that keep individuals and especially our students safe, and it's going to be a comprehensive solution that addresses gun control that addresses mental health issues, and that really addresses this overwhelming crisis that we're having with the fear that students are having on going to school. And that's not good for students, it's not good for families. We really need to protect individuals and young people from the horrors of this ever happening in our own community. It, you know, it's not as simple as taking away everyone's guns. That's not fair either. It's a protection that we afford ourselves in, in our community, but we definitely need to take them out of the hands of those that are unstable. And we need to address the problems that we're having in our community that lead to students coming to school and shooting others. I can't even imagine how the those high schoolers going back to school. Yeah. Yeah. It's devastating and and some of the the work that I have done is addressing wraparound services, putting mental health and behavioral health services in the school site that can be accessed by every student, not just the students whose parents can take off of work and give them the additional services that they may need, not just the students that have the health care that can provide for the additional plan, but really for all students at the school site with the level of confidentiality that's needed and also the oversight and accountability because these are young people. Their brains are developing. I know that from my background as a neuroscientist, our brains are still developing and we need to protect and do more to ensure that our students are thriving. They are our future and we have to protect them. Going back to the June 5th election, yes. so if all goes well and you are elected, at what point do you take office? So we would take office soon after that. The budget is June 15th, so there would be an opportunity for me to read over that. I'm a quick learner, so I will be able to participate in fully in the budget process at the very end and reading what's going toward that. So this is a special election, so it's actually just finishing the term out until December. There's another election that was going to go on regardless of the incumbent resigning, and that is a June 
November election, of which many of us have across the state. So I am actually running three times. I'm running in April, I'm running in June, I'm running again in June. So take the opportunity to vote early and vote often. It's the only opportunity you may get to vote for me twice and it be legal. And then again, you vote for me in November. Fantastic. Do you have a motto? Do you have a motto for your campaign? Build it up. I like it. Build it up. Yeah. Build up housing, build up education, build up our future. I love it. I love it. Well, you, just in case you are joining us for the last part of our program right now, I'm visiting with Tapring Piquato, and we are talking about her running for the 54th district race up in the Culver City area, and she was a postdoctoral fellow here at UCI several years ago. Now, currently, you are an advisor on, on the advisory board for the graduate division. Is that Right. I'm on the Dean's Leadership Council for Dean Leslie, and we address issues of funding and support and development, leadership development, as well as career development for graduate students at UC Irvine. And how long have you been doing that? About two years. That area is a little bit of a mystery. What does that division do? The graduate division? Yeah. So it's responsible for all graduate research. So all the wonderful research, innovative research that's going on at Irvine. Dean Leslie is responsible for providing oversight and administrative aspects for the graduate division. Is there anything cutting edge? Like, Is anything that's at the top of the list that you guys are looking at? Or is it more on a micro level? Yeah, we're looking for sustained community partnerships. The council always addressed sustained community partnerships. And so where can we partner in the community to provide our students, our researchers, with opportunities to work on real-world problems and develop those partnerships with companies out in our community? Interesting. And is it literally some of it would be local and some of it international? I mean, is it... It could be. It depends on the particular researcher, but, you know, there are opportunities all over the globe. At RAND, we have a summer associates program that places students in Santa Monica, D.C., Boston, and Pittsburgh to do real RAND research, be a participating collaborator on projects during the summer, and it's a 10-week project. And other companies have that as well. Novartis has that. Genentech has that. I'm in the science field, so those are the ones that I know, but there are other ones. I know that the Army also has a summer program too, so you can do different research on the federally funded research and development centers there, the FFRDC. Did you ever do any work with Gilead? I didn't, Mm, but I'm connecting with them during the campaign. Oh, is that right? There are a lot of biotech, tech, healthcare, life sciences communities that I'm reaching out to. So I'm part of the 314 Action Group that is invested in getting more scientists in the legislature elected to office. And part of that is reaching out to organizations that would have a vested interest in getting more scientists into elected official positions. Huh. And would that be in your district or is that out, actually outside your so, district? So this is actually a state office. So while there's particular interest in helping the community members that live in the district, my vote will represent the entire state. 
So it's a vested interest for everyone across the state, from Irvine up to Reading, to really get involved in this. And the assembly members that have endorsed me range from Anaheim to Merced to Ventura, Thousand Oaks, Elk Grove. And so there's a really a press to get more underrepresented minority women with a science background together to collaborate with people in Sacramento and do good work. You know, I actually, in part of this video series, Dean Washington from uh, Engineering spoke, and he talked about, you know, if, if the United States is going to stay competitive mm -hmm. internationally, mm -hmm. that it's going to be all hands on deck. Mm -hmm. you know, we can't have not have inclusion of everybody of talent who is willing to work. We have to have all those people. Right. We need to have everyone taking part. These are complex problems, and we view them with different lenses. And so my experience and background come from a single parent. It, my dad actually raised my brother and I. And as a minority woman scientist, that comes with a different perspective. And so we need everyone at the table to stand up and say, I take part and really lead us into a future that works, that is innovative, that is collaborative and works for all of us, not just the privileged few. Well, we've hit on a lot of these serious topics. Any hobbies or things that you like to do in your spare time? Right. So a little known fact about me, I'm a marathon runner and an hour hey. before uh, reading in the newspaper that the elected official resigned, I had signed up for a marathon, of which I'm not doing, <laughs> oh. but oh. I will, once elected, I will again train for my fifth marathon. And beyond that, I joined MIT Board Game Club when I was a graduate student. And I love puzzles and board games, strategy games. I think my favorite right now might be Settlers of Catan. That's a really fun one to play with some friends right now. <laughs> Is that a computer game? No, it's a board game. Oh. You, you lay it out and it has pieces. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, uh, you, you've struck a nerve with me in terms of marathon because <laughs> about 15 years or so ago, I did the LA Marathon. And recently, I interviewed Mark Stivers, who's a, a oh, computer. Yeah. Do you know Mark? I've heard. Yeah. On and he's a marathon runner. And so one of my shows, he had just completed the New York Marathon. And he didn't do near what he wanted to do. In fact, he said, I'm not going to do any more marathons after this. <laughs> and at the same time, he said it was the best experience that he just had. It right. Was, he just it, The crowds were fantastic. Oh, and New great. York was fantastic. So it was reminding me. So I started talking about... I'd like to you know do that again, and I really haven't. I've been more walking the dog than <laughs> um, than running, and so. But then my daughter says, "Well, I want to do it too." So you know that was like exactly oh my gosh, motivation. Big, yeah, total motivation. So, and my brother said he was going to do it. So far, my I think my daughter's weakening. My brother's <laughs> dropped out, and I'm up to a 10k plus. In fact, Sunday I'm going to do eight miles, and I'm doing a half marathon at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, I've really bitten off a lot here. <laughs> you know, and I think that is a really good example for this campaign. You plan for the 26.2 miles, but you just take it day by day and you get there. You know, it's kind of like looking at the back of the textbook of a math textbook or computer science textbook and being like, 
whoa, I'm never gonna learn this. And then day by day you do, you get stronger, you get smarter, and eventually you complete it just day by day and having the goal in mind and just a plan to get there. I, I love it, I love it. Something this morning that uh, a friend of mine told me recently is about don't look, it's kind of interesting, you, like you can have the goal, because that's the goal, mm -hmm. but don't like, don't keep looking up. Like I can't mm -hmm. keep like, well, here I am. I'm barely at eight miles right. this weekend. Don't overwhelm yourself uh, yeah, like that. I'm no. like, yeah, because I'm like, yeah, because I'm because actually this morning I was, it's like 26, that's four times what I'm doing now. <laughs> I, yeah, that, yeah. that is really discouraging. I mean, I remember going in my first marathon. Um, Which one was LA? It was, no, it was actually, I was in Massachusetts, so it was the Hyannis oh, okay. uh, Marathon, and it's in the end of February. And, you know, there was this opportunity that it was going to be snowing. And so I trained in the snow and the sleet and the hail. And I went from walking, running a 5K to four and a half months later running my first marathon. And it really was just doing that hard work every day and not skipping. And then when I did miss someone, like I missed a 18 miler, I made it up the next day. And really just putting that hard work and that's what I'm doing in this campaign is every day doing the hard work to earn the voters, to earn the endorsements and to raise that money. Well, to Pring, you know, it sounds like you have a great attitude and you're really motivated and you have a great plan and a great background. So we wish you all the best. We cannot wait to hear how it goes. Thank you. And uh, we'll just, you know, wish you all the best. And you can follow my path on votetopring.com. Fantastic. Anything else you want to share with our audience? No. Uh, thank you for talking to me today. It's been a great conversation and I look forward to coming back when I'm a, an assemblywoman. Fantastic. We look forward to hearing more about your adventures and the responsibilities that you're going to be Absolutely. taking on. Thank you Great. so much. Thank you. Tapring, as you've developed your career over time, are there lessons that you've learned that have contributed to your ability to run? Yes, there are a lot of lessons. And, and one of the things that I really focus on is actually this this concept that queen bees they're not born queens they're actually um, all the bees are born the same and the queen bees are taken and put in this royal jelly this sort of milky substance to develop their ovaries so that they can become queen bees and and experiences like California Council on Science and Technology, where I was a science fellow, have provided me my experiences, that my royal jelly, um, opportunities like being at UC Irvine and participating in innovative research has also provided me with royal jelly. And then at Rand Corporation, just being among amazing colleagues that are doing a diversity of work that are really uh, for the public good has also provided me with this royal jelly. So that I take with me on this journey to, to become an elected official, the, these aspects where I'm developing and, and becoming a queen bee. And so I want for the listeners to think about seizing the opportunities that are out there and really that queen bees aren't born that way, they're made that way. Excellent.